0: And the most valuable thing you have today is the core of your information. Nobody wants neuro-linguistic programming. No one wants tricks. No one wants to hear their name over and over again when they're being pitched. None of that thing, none of that works. They just want to understand. What is it? How does it work? Great. Can you actually do that for real? Yes. All right. And then how do we work
1: together? That's it. That's how easy it is. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a phenomenal guest for our 150th episode. Brant Penvidic is an award-winning film director veteran television producer, number 1 best-selling author, C-level sales and presentation coach, keynote speaker, top-rated podcast host and columnist for Forbes. He's been named to the Hollywood Reporter's 30 most powerful reality TV sellers and is widely recognized as one of the great creative sales leaders in Hollywood. In his number one bestselling book, The Three Minute Rule, Brandt has taken the life business and storytelling lessons he's developed during his Hollywood career and used them to uniquely bridge the entertainment industry and the business community. He specializes in helping others simplify their message. His endless energy, quest for adventure, and The Three Minute Rule have helped make him one of the most sought-after C-level consultants in the USA and abroad. He lives in Southern California with his wife and three children. Brant, welcome to the Daily Helping. It is an honor to have you on the show. Oh, Dr. Richard, I gotta bring you with me everywhere for that kind of intro. That's <laughs> that's money right there. That is money. I love <laughs> yeah. it. So there's so Please. many in my office must have sent that to you. I can yes, get that. Uh, Yeah, ah. no, it was sent, but but I love you know, it. The, the pizzazz makes it makes it all that's the right. more special. There it is. <laughs> so there's it so all many things. Good there's so many things we could talk about and and I can't wait to dive into the three-minute rule. But one of the things that I love to do on my show is connect with people's whys and really find out why they're doing the things that they're doing or the things that they've pivoted in because of major life experiences. So take us through the story of how you became the legend you were in Hollywood before you walked away from it all. I mean, here's the thing. I grew up in Canada as an entrepreneur.
0: I had a lot of trouble in, in Canada getting things going. My My sort of zest for the new and the and the possibilities and the potential just is not the same. They don't have the reverence for it in Canada. So I really struggled. And when I came to the United States with a TV idea that I had worked on in Canada, not had no success on, it ended up, you know, snowballing and becoming very successful here. And it led to me working in the industry and becoming sort of my career down here. And what was interesting was is I had been in rooms raising money. Trying to survive as an entrepreneur in Canada, where if I didn't get five thousand dollars out of someone that they invested in my company, I wouldn't be able to. So, I developed a really like important skill of being able to convince people and pitch my ideas without sounding desperate. So, you know the the standard sort of thought is that oh, you could sell ice to an Eskimo, and and it's that sort of car salesman type feel that people think that that's what being a great salesman is, and it's like it's the total opposite. It's the ability to convey the value of what it is you're offering without conveying promotion or desperation. And I just had learned that at an early age and in really high pressure situations. So when I came down to the United States, two things happened. One is, you know, that that style of pitching or presenting wasn't wasn't popular in ingrained in people here. But my agent had said from the very beginning, he had said, "Listen, you got to do the same level of work and effort for the pitches that you just did that brought me down to the United States for all of them. You'll get a reputation. This will be your calling card. It'll separate you." And he was right. Uh, and very quickly, I got this reputation of having some of the best pitches and presentations in in the town, and that carried me through a lot of different jobs. You know, I had a lot of success with TV shows and getting them. You know, some hits that helps as well. But all of that sort of became my persona, and then. When I transitioned, I started helping companies. There was one company specifically that, that begged me to help them with their presentation for investors. It was an oil and gas company. And I helped him and he left this voicemail on my phone. And he just basically said, almost his voice is cracking with emotion. He just said, you've changed my life and I can never thank you enough for what you've done. I, I used to hate being on the road. Now I love it. Stocks up. I raised money. Like this, has just been a life changing experience, and that really affected me because no network president had ever said anything like that to me before. And, and like I joke on stage, I'm one chromosome from being a caveman, so my ego <laughs> was like, "Oh yeah, we like that." And that just sort of became what drove me is working with people, finding. Companies seeing people that were struggling to get their message out effectively. They believed in what they were doing so deeply, but they couldn't get that to other people. And there's a frustration that I could see from Fortune 100 CEOs to the PTA president. I could see that across the board. And, and so that's when the idea for the book came. And I would apply the three minute rule, which is what we use in Hollywood to do scenes and sell shows, is, is this very short, condensed, highly informational pitch. And apply that across all businesses,
1: and and we're definitely going to get into three minute rule. You know, you, you have a reputation for being very modest, and you know it's it's worth noting that that project you came down from Canada was The bachelor, <laughs> and that made things uh, very successful for you. I am curious, so before we get into the, the transition, you you had that reputation; you were known in, in Hollywood circles as you know, for your unique pitch style. Why did you walk away from from Hollywood? Um, because listen,
0: it's, (laughs) I joke on my, I do a whole keynote on social media and presenting and I always say to people like, listen, I'm not as rich and famous as you think I am because nobody really is. There's no green grass anywhere. Anything you do for a living is a grind. Hollywood is a grind. Like it's hard to believe. Yeah, it's lucrative. And, and yeah, there's some really cool elements to it, but to get to that level where it's really lucrative, where you get all the benefits and the cool things you think is so much work but you can't enjoy those things. And a very, very high level um, executive, one of the most powerful women in all of Hollywood said to me one time, she said, if you can get the job, it's not a job you want to have. You know, if you're qualified and you can actually get the job, that's not a great job. The only good jobs are the ones you can't get, the ones you're not qualified for, the ones that you think would be great. Once you've developed the skills and the experience and the ability to do those jobs, they're not fun anymore and they're not exciting. And Hollywood lost that for me years ago. Um, you know, it used to be like, oh my God, if I could just sell a show, then I sold a show. Oh my God, if I could just get a show on TV. Oh my God, I, I got a show on TV. If I could just get a hit, I got a hit. Oh, it's got to get second seasons. Oh, it's got to be a franchise. Oh, I got to have four of them. I got to have eight of them. Like eventually you're running a company where you have to have, you know, eight new series a year and and you're d- dealing with projections. And so it's like, oh, I, I sold a show. It used to be like pop champagne, but it's like, oh no, that's, that's, all entitled series number five in our projections. So it's like, yeah, I already counted that. And it's already on there. And all of the things that it comes from has already been laid out. So it's like, it was really hard to feel that rush. And then after I sold my company and I was in the midst of having to to do it again and start a new company, it was the same thing, but it, it was one incident where I lost a big production. It was about $8 million in production. And we were just about to start filming, and the network called and basically just said, "Yeah, no, we're shutting it down. We've had financial changes. in The network, we're not doing big shows like that. Gone, eight million dollars out." So, at the time, you know, this is September. I went from being about, you know, three million dollars over the year's projections for the company to about five million under in one phone call, and instead of being the hero of the studio that the company had brought in all this business, it was amazing, he's going to outdo productions. It went to being like, yeah, no, he's going to miss this year. And it's September, you can't make $8 million. And I remember how devastated I was at that. And I realized I was giving my emotional stability, effectively, over to people that just had no control over it. I was just letting development executives at random cable networks control my level of happiness or excitement. And I, was just, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just at the grind. And so that's when I decided to pivot and focus way more on the business side. And that led to the book. And
1: here we are. It's interesting that you you had that realization and so many business owners do, yeah, that, that they get into the muck, so to speak. Yeah. And it's, it's the day-to-day. And then they, you know, before they... I, I've had so many people tell me that I wish somebody had slapped me in the face 15 years ago and told me to close the laptop. Spend time with my kids, do the things that are really important, do the things that are fulfilling, and make me happy because it's you can blink your eyes and two decades go by and you're miserable. Well, you know, I wrote an article for Forbes um, about
0: how we plan, but we don't prepare for success. And basically, the, the thesis of it is: what happens when the when the coyote catches the roadrunner? Like, then what does he do? Right and does he just does he just go out and catch more Roadrunners? Is he satisfied? Does he go back home and finally says, it's over, I've caught, you know, I've, it, Moby Dick, I've caught the white whale, everything's done, I'm done with this. It's like, or have you developed a pattern in your life that that's all you know how to do? And in this industry, I saw that every day. I have, I have several friends that have sold their companies for literally hundreds of millions of dollars and then I'll see them at the waiting room at the MTV offices or E. And it's just like, why are you going into pitch VH1 shows I know the grind of that. I know how thankless and difficult it is. Why would someone want to do that if they've already made it? You know, And it's because you get into that mindset that that's what you do. And then I started to, in the article, I sort of lay out the idea, like, what if you catch all the roadrunners? What if there's nothing left to catch anymore? You know, like, that really affected me as I had gone through and met people and I decided that I just wasn't going to do that anymore. I had already had some financial wins in the business. I wasn't spending the money I was making. I was just, you know, putting it away and, and grinding up this life. And I just didn't have the resonance it used to. And I started to focus on what was it that actually brought me joy in the moment today. And that wasn't the business of selling television shows. It just wasn't, I was not happy doing that. It was a grind. And so I understand people who do things that they're not super, they don't enjoy as a job, but there's a, there's an end. the financial rewards of that give you the ability to do what you want to do. I was in a mode where I had the ability, just wasn't doing. I was going to an office, grinding it out, and having people say no, and things that I loved, I thought were great creatives, getting crushed, and, and all of those things that just made it very difficult. So I, I just switched. I just said, I'm not, I'm not going back to that again. So now I only up. do TV for, for when it's something that I really want to do.
1: That's awesome, and and as it should be, you know that you're you're picking your spots and you're doing those things that look like they're fun and fulfilling for you. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I, I I purposefully held off on asking about the three minute rule, but now seems like the most beautiful time to do it. You gave us the backstory of kind of why you wanted to do it. Yeah, that you took those experiences from from your time in Hollywood. So let's take a deep dive into this best selling book. Deep dive. So the three minute rule basically says everything about your business, product, or service
0: must be conveyed clearly, concisely, and accurately in three minutes or less. In those first three minutes, you got to capture and maintain your audience's attention. You got to illustrate value and you have to create engagement. If you don't do that, the odds of doing that after absolutely plummet astronomically. And the fact is, people make that initial yes or no decision well within that first three minutes. Sometimes in the first 30 seconds, I'm sure people, uh, Listening will understand that when they've had someone to come pitch or present or try to sell them something and they already have a yes or no in their head in those first 10 seconds sometimes. What the three minute rule does, it basically shows you how to structure your information, how to build a story like a Hollywood screenwriter so that you can lead your audience through the process of that initial decision making, like that process. And if you're good enough and you're lucky, you can extend that to about three minutes so that when they're making that initial yes or no, they actually have valuable and relevant information to make that decision. And you're far more likely to get the the conclusion you want if you do it that way.
1: Hey, guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. So somebody listening to this says that sounds awesome, and I'm going to run out and and, and get this book. And Um, so they should. (laughs) How do they? How how do you verify that? Like, so how do you? How do you know if your message is concise or your pitch is, you know, to the point where somebody would get that engagement? How do you? Well, the the book
0: is is a very structured how to, right? Like, it's I obviously it's loaded with fun Hollywood stories, which is sort of part of the way you make the book interesting and fun and a good read, I get that. But it really is the way I do kind of life. It's like straight to the point, here's how you do it. So I show people how to literally break down their ideas into bullet points, how to take those bullet points and move them into what's called statements of value, which are effectively sentences that convey the most value. I show them how to put it in an and then story, which is like, what do you need to know first? What do you need to know next? What does not need to be said at all? Because that's really the core. You got to be able to filter through the information because it's not about what you want to say. It's about what needs to be said. And then I have what is been, you know, the big sort of home run of the book, which is called the WAC method, W-H-A-C, which is how to structure any idea or pitch into the four categories. And you filter through that, which is number one is what is it? W, what is it? Which is literally what is it? Then how does it work? The functionality of it. Then are you sure? Which means, do you have facts and figures and logic and reason to back that up? And then can you do it? How do we engage? What's the next step? How much does it cost? When can I get it? Should I take it to the board members? Like all those things. Now, those four questions, and if you put your pitch in that order, it's the natural order of the way humans make decisions. First, we conceptualize it. Then we contextualize it then we actualize it we we conceptualize it as in what is it how does it work okay i need to understand the basic elements first then we go into con- contextualize which is how does it work for me how how is it relevant to me and what i want to do those are those facts and the figures and the logic and the reason how i've seen used before and then actualize do i want to take further action am i yes interested yes or no do i want to ask questions should i bring somebody else in do i want to buy it like all of those things that That natural decision making process. I try train people how to build their pitch, so it mimics that process. And when you do that, it's so clear. It is so obvious, and it filters everything out because you know, like when you hear someone rambling on about what they're trying to explain to you, your brain goes, "Like, could you just tell me what this is? Like, can we just stop and just explain how this works? Like, it's what you want. You crave simplicity, and simplicity today is the new sexy." If you can be clear, people are drawn to that. It's the most compelling thing you can be is clear. And the most valuable thing you have today is the core of your information. Nobody wants neuro-linguistic programming. No one wants tricks. No one wants to hear their name over and over again when they're being pitched. None of that thing, none of that works. They just want to understand. What is it? How does it work? Great. Can you actually do that for real? Yes. All right. And then how do I, like, how do we work together? That's it. That's how easy it is.
1: You know That makes a lot of sense, Brent. And in fact, there's some good neuroscience behind what you're talking about that in this era of social media, and I know that you're not on social media and I want to talk to you about that as well, but the, they've shown that our attention span, because we're so bombarded with information in all directions, that we actually are paying less attention than we ever have before. And I, I've heard somebody say that the stat that actually a goldfish has longer sustained focused attention now than the average human being so yeah the clarity piece that makes a lot of sense well it's actually the study of what's called approach
0: motivation it's a very big scientific study that's been going on for like 50 years it's a in whole industry and it's basically the study of why we're basically driven to engage with things brands ideas commercials colors like things like that they just study this relentlessly and they used to believe and they still do that that um focus creates desire like that, that what they've been doing for years and years and years is like anything that you desire, you'll focus on. Right. And so, what happens is, I would say uh, in advertising, Hey, would you like to lose weight and eat anything you want? And you go, Oh, yes, I would love that. Tell me more, please. Right. And you pay attention. Then they can inform you. That's the way commercials have worked forever. That's the way we sell things. An elevator pitch always was I've got an investment that can make you 10 times your money by the end of the year. And the person in the elevator goes, Ooh, leans in, please tell me more. And that's just not the way we do things anymore. We have evolved because of the onslaught and the bombardment of marketing. And the claims have got bigger and the results have got smaller. And now we don't believe, we're skeptical, highly sophisticated audience and hypersensitive. And so now with the study of the journal, Motivation and Emotion and Personality, we've discovered that it actually works in the reverse today, which is focus will create desire. Meaning if I can get you to pay attention, if I get you to give me your precious attention and focus, the longer you stay in that mode, the more you will desire the outcome. It's now the tail wagging the dog effectively in that sense, which is like, if I can get you to focus, I can lead you to the conclusion. And that's, you know, the way it used to be was something called state and prove. I'm going to state something big, and then I'll prove how it works. That does not work anymore. Now what works is what I call the inform and lead method. I'm going to inform you and lead you to the conclusion. And it's strange that that's like this new thing because in Hollywood, we've been doing that forever, right? We, we take you on a journey of a, of a character. We inform you of their plight, of their issues, of their desires, and you want it to end. And I, on stage, I talk about it all the time where I was like, have you ever seen CSI... NCIS, Law & Order, any of those shows, they end the exact same way every single episode. But you want it to end that way. That's what you want. That's why the good guys win. That's why movies resolve that way. That's why 999 out of 1,000 movies have that same sweeping crescendo to the end where the good guys win. It's not because they're all All the writers are mundane. They can't figure it out. It's because that's what you want as an audience. That's the way storytelling works. That's the way the human existence is. You, if you focus on something long enough, you lead to the conclusion. Um, it's why, it's why virtual reality movies don't work. It's like the theory is, yeah, you get to look anywhere you want virtual reality. You can, you can see anything. Except that's not what people want to do. They want to follow along. And the director's version of where to watch is exactly what happens. You know, we've done, we've done shows about that are choose your own adventure. And the problem is at the end, everybody chooses the same ending because you've been focused long enough that that's what you want. So that's the way I teach people how to reassess their pitches and their presentations, how to inform people of the core information and the value and lead them to the conclusion
1: you want. It's just very powerful. And it's obviously been working really well. Absolutely. you, You mentioned earlier that you do have a, a keynote on social media and I, and I, I teased it. I know that you know, yeah. social media is not, not your favorite thing. Talk to me about you know, when and why you decided to make Why I'm Not on Facebook and, and explain some of that to, to the listeners. Yeah, so it was about five years ago. I was an absolute anti-social
0: media person. I, I hated the idea of it. I didn't want people knowing what I was doing. I couldn't imagine that. It was ridiculous. And But my son was 13 and he wanted to join. He's like, hey, can I go get on Facebook? I was like, absolutely not. It's horrible. And he's like, why? And I was like, ah, couldn't come up with a good answer. And I thought, you know what? That would make a great film. So I made this movie called Why I'm Not on Facebook. and It was my journey to find out the evil, awful things about Facebook so I could tell my son why he can't join. And the the irony is, as I went through Facebook, I realized that it really wasn't about Facebook. It was more about me and my personal issues and my own sort of ego, narcissism, insecurities, all of those things wrapped together. That's what really scared me about Facebook. So it was a great. I mean, the documentary did really well. So that was kind of cool. It launched a lot of stuff for me, but it gave me a different perspective on, on social media. And of course, over the years, I've had to, you know, join. And <laughs> and then, you know, you do a movie. So that adds a layer of of interesting sort of attachment to fans of the movie. And then the podcast did well. So next thing you know, I have this sort of, you know, like if, you read, <laughs> if you read it on Wikipedia, it'll say micro-influencer, which is just such a ridiculous phrase. I just... But it, you know, social media is something that is a tool. People don't understand how to use it as a tool. They get, they get confused when they talk about influence and celebrity. Those things are not the same. And so I do a lot of speaking um, around the country about the impact of social media, how to use social media as a brand, as a business, what celebrity and pop culture and social media have in common and how to use those business-wise to your actual advantage. Um, It's been interesting. People, it's, I mean, I'm surprised how popular it is because I guess it is such so nebulous that people don't understand it, particularly as businesses or individuals, and they can't understand why it doesn't work the way they think it works. It's because it doesn't work the way
1: you think it works. So very high level. What, What are some strategies and tips you would give people so that they could use social media to attract attention to their products or services? Um, You have to understand that social media is
0: not there to help you share what you want to. That's not the way it works. It is not a platform for you promoting. And what you think is content is not content, it's promotion. And so when you're out there sharing your promotion, trying to push your business agenda or your agenda personally, you cannot expect the social media community, the the platforms to be great. We're going to help you push your business. That's not the way they work. They are specifically designed to give you emotional, and personality anxiety over your impending popularity so that you pull out your checkbook and write them a check. That is the design of social media. That's why your mom has better engagement than you do. Because what your mom shares is actual content that her small 197-person audience actually cares about because she knows all of them and they interact. And the algorithms of Instagram or Facebook know that. They know that the people on her list like what she posts. So they share it more often. They know that what you post to your 7,000 followers or whatever it is, people don't engage with it as much because it's not relevant to them because it's not people in your inner circle. You are trying to build a platform, you're trying to build a persona. And Instagram and Facebook and every social media platform is like, oh, well, if you are trying to run a business, All I got to do is make you feel like people will think you're less successful if you don't have a lot of likes or followers and you'll write us a check and you'll buy ads and you'll promote your social media feed. And that's what they've tapped into. And so you have to use social media as a billboard, as a advertising. And then your job is to go get people to that platform, not the other way around. So if you look at my social media feeds and I have a, you know, I have a whole, of followers from over the years, but I don't share things to try to share things with those followers. Like They know what's going on. They know I have a book out. What I do is build my profiles so that if you don't know me well, and you go to find out what I am and who I am and what I'm about, you will take one snapshot somewhere in the world. Google, Instagram, Facebook. I don't know where you're going to find out about me, my website, but everything looks basically the same the message that you're going to get is uniform you're not going to go to some platform be like oh he only has 800 followers and nobody pays attention to him like that's not the way that works right i have built my platform so that it just shows what i want it's the only reason i use social media and it's the reason i don't have a youtube channel i i can make great content i'm a tv producer i can make awesome things but i don't have that audience If I built a YouTube channel, it would have very few followers to begin with. It would be a grind and it would not represent what I want. And so the image wouldn't fit with how I want to be portrayed. And I don't want the work. So I don't do it. It has no effect on my business. It's not like it's changing anything and neither is any of the social media platforms. It's just a billboard. It's just a Yellow Pages ad. Make it look good. And then your job is to go drive people. Social media is not driving people to
1: you at all. Sound sound advice for sure, and okay. I'm sure a lot of people thinking, listening to this, their minds are a bit blown because they, you know, everybody is oh, in that God. cycle in the business space of doing the ads and you know the. Well, it's more than that. <laughs> it's like not, not even that. It's like the, the people
0: will tell you like post every day and post at this time. It's like that doesn't help at all. None of that's going to help you. You are not growing an audience that way. You cannot grow an organic audience if you are not a pop culture or specific content. If you're a meme site, yeah. You can grow an audience because it's kind of funny, but you have no influence then and you can't leverage that for real business. If you're not that, if you're just sharing things about you and what you do and trying to be cool, you're not growing anything. There's no organic growth. And you, got, you can't be fooled by the other people out there when you go to their pages and you think that there's millions of people that follow people you've never heard of because they're really cool business guys. It's like, that's not the way it works. Those, that's not real. It's all phony crap. That's what it is. And it's people that we think follow you. They don't. It's their use. My audience, God bless you if you're listening, is useless. I can't sell them anything. You know what I mean? Like I have hundreds of thousands of followers across the platforms. They're not valuable from a business perspective. I can't influence them because that's not what they do. I don't have influence that way. Nobody does. Jennifer Aniston has influence. Kim Kardashian has influence. Oprah Winfrey has influence. They're pop culture celebrities. If you don't have pop culture celebrity, you don't really have influence. You have people who have breezed by, make some comments and look into it. That's it. So if you get that out of your mind that by putting great content out and working that says you're going to grow an audience, like if you get that out of your mind, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If you're a business, run ads, You run ads, you'll get more followers. They're useless. Anyways, there it looks like you've you you've, you've like a yellow page ad you have a bigger ad it looks better, and then you put things on that page that when people come and find it somehow or you direct them to them or whatever, they look at it, they see what you're about, they understand you, and now if they want to work with you it's better
1: i I do a lot in this space clearly <laughs> yeah I, I I'm grateful though that, that you went. You went that way and you shared what you shared because I think that's going to be so useful for the people listening to this. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're close on time, but I wanted to take an opportunity for you to also share your podcast with us and what people will get from listening to that.
0: Yeah, so I have a podcast called Why I'm Not, which is basically an extension of what that movie was, which is something I don't understand. People really dig it. I'm going to dive in and figure out if I'm the dumbass or if people are the dumbass. <laughs> Not surprisingly, I'm the dumbass most of the time. So it allows me to sort of explore cool Topics with, with cool guests. That's been really fun. And then I also have a business podcast um, that we did a teaser of called IPO, which is Ideas, People, and Opportunity. And I'm interviewing some of the biggest business sort of icons of our generation, mostly about what their big idea was that changed things and how what they did that and, and the opportunities it created and the people they influenced. So, like a good example, one of the teaser ones I did, Kathy Ireland, former supermodel now huge CEO of one of the biggest licensing companies in the world. There's $2 billion in business a year. And the idea that a supermodel could be a CEO of a real business back then, and her first, her first product was socks, go figure that, was fascinating to learn that she's not a supermodel that became a CEO. She's a CEO that happened to be a supermodel for a little while. And it's just a fascinating reveal to look into that piece. And, and so I've had a really good time... Um, interviewing some really fascinating people. So the, the re-release of that is coming out soon
1: with all of the interviews I've done, which is kind of fun. So Outstanding.
0: that's IBO. So Yeah, so it's, it's been a good run.
1: Outstanding. Well, I have absolutely loved every minute of this interview. As you know, I wrap up every episode of my show by asking the guest a single question. That is, Brant, what is your biggest helping, the single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? I would say that
0: The simplification of what you need to convey is the most important thing in the market today. Is that The more words you use, the less effective you'll be. And I'll use this example as we close up. If I was going to cater your wedding and I need to get a chef for you to approve it, and I had Gordon Ramsay who had agreed to be the chef at your wedding and show up there personally, how many words would I need to convince you? Forwards. I have Gordon Ramsay, right? Conversely, if it was my convict ex-brother-in-law who really needed a job, never worked as a chef before, but was really pressuring me, how many words would I need to try to sell you that idea, right? There may not be enough. And the level of confidence I would have in those meetings and what you would perceive as the person on the other side would be palatable. So what I say to people is, the value of what you're offering is somewhere between Gordon Ramsay and my convict ex-brother-in-law. And the number of words you use to explain that will show your audience where on the scale of value you believe you belong. The more words you use, the less valuable you're conveying what you have. So really important to simplify, say less and you can get more.
1: Awesome. Brent, where can people find you online?
0: I'm really easy to find. You can go to the 3 com. All my stuff's there. Or you can go at Brant PenVidic on any of the
1: platforms anywhere you find me. Perfect. And for those of you who are listening to this on your exercise bike, we've got you covered everything. Brant Pinvidic will be available at the show notes at com for his episode as well as in the Daily Helping app available in Google Play and iTunes. Well, thank you, Brant. This has been awesome. I loved every minute of this. Rock on, you rock came on. on. Right on. Thank you. And to each and every one of you listening to this as well, thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, do something nice today for somebody else and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others.